All right, if you'll remain standing, uh, I'm going to pray for us as we come to the reading and the proclamation of God's word. Father, thank you um, for worship this morning. Thank you for this um, season of Lent um, that is one of, of reflection and meditation. And so as we come to your word today, Lord, I pray that we would uh, understand in new and fresh ways um, just exactly what it means to follow you. What does it mean when we say we are a disciple of Jesus? What does that mean for our lives? So overcome, O oh God, the sin of my heart that you alone today would be honored and glorified. For we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. And so the word of God from John 15, verses 18 to 27, Jesus again speaking in the upper room discourse. He says to the disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord today for you, his church. And may it take us ever deeper into understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as many of you know, I, uh, I host a group of pastors every January, about 30 guys from all over the country. They love coming to Orlando in January. And we spend three days together in prayer, worship, discussion about issues facing the church. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year. And one of the things we always do, we start on a Tuesday, we talk and share all Tuesday afternoon, and then we go have a big dinner um, Tuesday night where we continue those conversations. So obviously the environment the venue, something that lends itself to a larger group kind of conversation that's important. So we had found the last few years a great venue. And once again, we had contracted with them to have a dinner. We set up this prefix menu with several really good uh, food options and a dessert bar, and it was gonna be affordable. And they paid ahead of time for all that in their registration. And so we're all set. So Tuesday night, January 10 rolls around. We go, we have our meetings, and we're walking to dinner downtown. We come into the restaurant, and as I walk in the restaurant, I, I realize that it just seems kind of quiet. There's not much activity going on, and I even look at the room that we have 
reserved and there's kind of a glass facade and I see there are no tables set up in the room. And so I wave over the manager and I go, hey, are, are you ready for us? And he goes, yeah, yeah, we're ready Thursday night. We're good. And I go, no, no, it's tonight. And he goes, no, he said, it's Thursday night. And I go, all right, trying to be nice. Obviously there are 30 people standing behind me. So dinner's tonight, can you accommodate us? And he goes, no, all the food you order doesn't even arrive until tomorrow and our restaurant is full tonight. And so at this point, I am not only irritated, but I'm really embarrassed. I got 30 people standing behind me and they're all watching me and there's no dinner. And so at that point, the general manager comes down, kind of sees we're having a little conflict and produces the contract. And sure enough, at the top of the contract, it says January 12th, Thursday. And right at the bottom is my signature. Now, we went back and found other contracts in the planning process and they all said January 10. But at some point, somehow the date got flipped and that last contract I stand in December, I wasn't looking at the details. I was looking at all the things I was interested in, the good food and the dessert bar and was the cost right. I didn't look at the date. I did not look at the fine print and I signed the contract. And obviously that created a bit of an embarrassment for me. We found another restaurant downtown. It all worked out, but it was still a costly moment. Now I guarantee you, I'm not the only person that's ever done that. How many of you have signed a form that you didn't actually read? Doctor's office forms, insurance forms, tax forms. You buy a car, they just keep shoving forms and you could sign away the life of your first child and you wouldn't know it because you hadn't read the forms. How many of you ever made a commitment to something before you actually realized what you were committing to? Coaching Little League Baseball, right? Being the homeroom mom for your children being an elder at First Presbyterian Church, right? We commit to things before we actually know what's going on. And here's the hard, cold truth. Most of us in our Christian commitment, when we come to Jesus, we come because we understand the work of the cross. We accept Christ because we believe that God has loved us and given his life for us. And all those things are wonderfully good things But the hard reality is we haven't actually gone through the scripture and read the fine print in order to truly understand what is going to be required of us, what the Christian life demands. And that's okay, because keep in mind, as we talked about last week, the disciples didn't understand it either. So don't beat yourself up too bad. Remember, Jesus last week says to Peter, you don't understand. So they didn't get it. We don't get it completely. It's part of our Christian maturity. It's part of the maturation process where we come to Christ and he doesn't give us all the details at once because I'm not sure you and I could handle all the details at once. But over the course of our relationship with God, he continues to draw us deeper. And what we find happening in John 15, as Jesus is preparing to leave the disciples, he's going over the fine print with them. He's saying, you've been with me for three years and I need you to understand, here's exactly what it means. This is what you're gonna face. And for those of you who might not have been here last week, we're in a series in Lent called Lessons from the Upper Room. It's based on the Upper Room Discourse, John 13 through 17, five chapters in the Gospel of John. 
25% of the gospel of John is devoted to one conversation. The conversation that takes place the night before Jesus is crucified. The conversation that takes place around the Last Supper, the celebration of the Passover meal. And we believe and understand that when a man is about to die, that's when he's gonna tell the people that he loves the most important things. And so last week he gets up and he takes off, uh, picks up a towel and he, he puts it around his waist and he washes the feet of the disciples. And having done that, he asked them, you remember, do you understand what I've done for you? So again, Jesus is in this mode. I want you to understand, we gotta grow up here. I'm about to leave. And today he gets deep into the fine print that all of us need to understand. And so let's be sure we grasp fully what it means to be followers of Jesus this morning. Number one, first and foremost, the Christian life is hard. It's probably the hardest life that you could choose. It is joyous and it is wondrous and it is rich and purposeful and rewarding, but it's also really hard, sometimes excruciatingly so. And if you wanna find a church where you can go and you can hear someone tell you, oh, you're gonna get the job, your loved one's gonna be healed, it's always gonna work out, you can have your best life now. There are plenty of places that you can go. But if you've been at First Pres any length of time at all, you know, I'm not gonna sugarcoat the gospel for you. I'm not gonna give you half the gospel because it doesn't always work out. And sometimes the Christian life is hard and I never want you to follow Jesus Christ under false pretenses. I want you to know the fine print. And here's what Jesus says in verse 18. The world hates me, it will hate you. I have chosen you, chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And see that word there in English, they translate it if. The better translation is since. There's no understanding in the Greek that this might happen. You might be hated, you might be persecuted. It's not if. It's since, since the world hated me, it's gonna hate you. Since the world persecuted me, you're gonna be persecuted. And keep in mind in John 14, Jesus has been so encouraging to the disciples. He's talked about the Holy Spirit and the comforter's gonna come and the comforter's gonna encourage you and affirm you. And then he gives John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. So let not your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so those are the verses that we wanna linger on. It's me looking at that contract. I wanna look at all the good food I'm gonna have. I wanna consider the dessert bar, the things that make me feel good. I don't wanna look at the fine print. And so we linger in the parts about comfort and peace. But when we get to words like hatred and persecution and people that are gonna revile us, we like to gloss over those things. Jesus says to us, this is how I lived. And if you live like this, they'll treat you the same way they treated me. Why should you and I expect anything different? We shouldn't. But the problem is that this 
truth of the gospel flies in the face of our cultural theology today, which says that God is just this creature of love. It's this universalist. Everybody comes in. Doesn't really matter what your behavior is. Doesn't matter. You know, I just love you so much. Love overcomes everything. And when you find yourself in moments like that, or when someone says to you anything about Jesus that doesn't ring true, what I always say is, can you show me where Jesus says that? Because what we need to be looking at is what does Jesus actually say? Here it is in John 10, verses 34 to 39. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever tries to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is saying is that your spiritual commitment to Christ must supersede every other relationship in your life, including your own family, including the people who are closest to you. Why? Because Jesus came not to bring peace. He didn't come to make everybody calm and happy. It says he came to bring a sword, not to be violent. But what it means is he brought a sword because he's doing battle with the forces of evil. He came to overcome sin and death and the power of the enemy. And we talked about that before. And he invites each one of us into the kingdom of God by our faith in him. And he says, I need you to participate in this. I need you to be a part of this kingdom building endeavor. And it's gonna be costly and it's gonna be hard. And I need you to fight with me. Grant Osborne writes, like the first disciples, we are asked to change from takers to givers, from self-centered people who look out for number one to servants who reach out for God. And that's just hard because we're so hardwired in this culture to look out for me, to look out for self. Jesus said in Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you falsely on my account. So God says, when those things happen, persecution, someone reviles you, you're gonna be blessed, but not in the way that the world understands that word. We said this last week. Blessed does not mean that everything's going well. Blessed does not mean that I'm getting everything that I want and my desires have been met. To be blessed means to sit in the grace and favor of God. How'd that work out for Mary? When the angel appeared and said, Mary, you have found favor in God's sight. To be in the favor and grace of God may mean that we have hard things, but where else would we want to dwell? Besides God's grace and favor, he says in Matthew 24, 4, watch out that no one deceives you. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all the nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from faith and will betray and hate each other because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. You think that describes the world we live in today? 
Does that sound to you like universalism? Where God just loves everybody and he doesn't really care about what we do. He just says, come on in. Does that sound to you like a God whose primary concern is your happiness and the fulfillment of your desires? Or does that sound like a God who says to us to follow me is going to be enormously challenging? Because I came with a sword. There's a battle being waged. And the battle is going to be such that people will betray you and you will see the love of people's hearts grow cold. Wow. We're seeing that today. And in John 15, what Jesus is doing with the disciples is he's saying to them, you need to count the cost. You need to consider what this costs you. And are you willing to pay it? We talk about living missionally in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our vocations. In those circumstances, in your family, are you willing to allow what you believe biblically to be true to dictate how you handle the circumstances in your family? Or are you going to allow the circumstances to dictate what it is you believe or even change what you believe because it's just flat easier? Because you don't want to cause a ruckus in your household. And you know what? I realize this is what the Bible says, but I'm just going to say that something else is true because I don't want to cause any conflict. Jesus said he came, and sometimes it's going to separate families. Are we willing to count that cost? So that what we know is true biblically dictates how we manage every circumstance, even the hard ones in our families. I got a text from a young woman in our congregation recently. Someone she'd been friends with for 12 years. Someone who was in her wedding said essentially to her, unless you change your Christian beliefs so that you can affirm and approve the way I have chosen to live, then you and I can't be friends and there's no reason for us to talk anymore. And she called me in tears and said, what do I do? It's counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. See, I think there's this, this false notion that, we've, that our culture has adopted that says the purpose of the church is to affirm me. I want to go to the church so that the church will affirm my choices and my desires because the purpose of life, my life is to make myself happy. And whatever that is, the church should affirm it and bless it. But people, that's never been the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church has always been to be the agent of God's transformation. That yes, God affirms us and loves us right where we are when he comes to us or when we come to him, but he's not gonna leave us there. He says in Romans 8, 29, I called you for those that God knew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. The church is not about your affirmation. It's about your transformation. And sometimes to live in the midst of that and to live in the truth of that is flat out hard. And right now, some of you going, Swanson, ease up on the gas pedal. Fair enough. But you know what? We don't talk about this enough. We don't, especially in the season of Lent. We need to sit in this. And honestly, what do you really know of that? What do you know of hatred for your faith? What do you know of what it means to be persecuted? 
And honestly, I think it's a pretty healthy question to ask ourselves during Lent. If Jesus said, if you live like me, persecution and hatred will be part of your experience. Well, if you've never known those things, it may be time to recalibrate how you're living. Maybe you're not ever going to know what it is to be a martyr like Jim Elliott as a missionary. Maybe you're not going to know what it is to be imprisoned because of your faith in Turkey as Andrew Brunson, our EPC missionary, was. But you're going to know moments like that young woman where your friends are going to cancel you as soon as they find out that you love Jesus and you can't do anything about it. I've been hated plenty of times and I will be hated in the future, I promise you, because of what I say and because of what this church stands for. And if we live out loud, it will happen to you. And we just need to come to terms with and be ready for it. So where's the good news? Wants to give us something happy, right? Don't send us out of here now. Well, there's plenty of good news. Number one, I love the fact that Jesus takes all the surprise out of it. Right? I love the fact that Jesus says, look, you're gonna be opposed in this world. Don't be surprised. So when the opposition does come, instead of getting all freaked out about it and go, oh my gosh, we can go, Jesus told, told me that. Do you think, Joe Biden's going to be surprised that the Republicans put someone up against him in 2024? Were the chiefs at the Super Bowl on the sidelines going, oh my gosh, the Eagles are here? No. Expect opposition. It's the enemy's work. So we go, okay, I'm going to be opposed, not shocked. And then we have two incredible blessings and benefits. The first is we have the power of God the Father. What does Jesus say in verse 21? He says, all these things they do to you on account of my name, hatred, persecution, because they don't know him who sent me. Who's that? That's God the Father. That's the creator of the universe. And what happens when we get opposed? We get intimidated. People who oppose us make us feel small. They make us feel intellectually uh, uh, unable. Like we're just kind of dumb idiots that we believe in the truth of the gospel and they give us the dismissive way. Ah, I can't believe you believe that. There's nothing behind it. If you said to them, well, why don't you believe? Can you prove your point? They couldn't say anything, but they just, they just intimidate you. People, there's no reason that you should ever be intimidated by any opposition. Why? Because God the Father, the creator of the universe, stands behind you and enables you and fills you with his strength and power. You know, I told you that story before about driving down Orange Avenue trying to find a parking place. And my boy's on the way to dinner and I hit the brakes, pulled into one real fast. The guy behind me didn't like that I hit my brakes that hard, so he honks. I get out of my car. He pulls in like two spots ahead, gets out of his car. He's in a, he's in a wife beater, all tatted up, big earrings. And he's walking at me with his fist balled up. And I'm standing there going, okay, it's on. I'm, I'm ready to go. And then he gets about halfway to me. And all of a sudden he goes, you just need to learn how to drive. And he does that and turns around and walks away. And I'm like, yeah, you didn't want any of this. 
unbeknownst to me, my six foot two and six foot five inch sons have gotten out of my car and they're standing over my left shoulder and my right shoulder. People, that's you. In the face of opposition, God Almighty is standing behind you. Don't let anybody intimidate you. Least of all, any opposition who would declare that what you believe to be is false. And secondly, verse 26, he gives you the power of the Spirit. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The word is parakletos, the paraclete or the advocate. So we get counselor, comforter, and now advocate, which means literally one who is called alongside to someone's aid. So the Spirit gives you the ability to testify. You don't have to worry about having a perfect argument. You don't have to worry about having the words that are gonna convince someone to come to Christ. It's the Spirit's work to testify to that person. You don't convert somebody, the Spirit of God does. You don't reveal truth to somebody, the Spirit of God does. So he's your advocate. So when there's opposition, God the Father stands behind you, the Spirit fills you to testify and use you as his instrument. So even in the hardships and even in the difficulties, we can have confidence and courage to walk in the path of Christ, hard though it may be, because therein is the grace and favor of our God, the riches of his purpose in our lives. Kyle Eidemann wrote a book not long ago, well, actually quite a long time ago, 2011, It's called Not a Fan, which he says this. Fans of Jesus don't mind him doing a little touch-up work, but Jesus wants complete renovation. Fans come to Jesus thinking tune-up, but Jesus is thinking overhaul. Fans think a little makeup is fine, but Jesus is thinking makeover. Fans think a little decorating is required, but Jesus wants a complete remodel. Fans want Jesus to inspire them but Jesus wants to interfere in their lives. So my question for you today, in light of reading the fine print, are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you at the point where you are ready to let Jesus interfere in your life so that you actually begin to submit your desires and your will to the greater will and purpose of the Father that will lead you into places of hatred and persecution and where people revile you. Why? Because that is actually the place where you find the grace and favor of the living God and you find the joyous delight of the presence of the Father and the power of the Spirit and the rich reward that comes with serving Him faithfully and well. Why? Because He served us first and He gave His life for us. And so at this table is where we learn to, to lay down our lives as well. I pray together today that we'll read the fine print and we'll know more what it means to follow Jesus. Let us pray.